The Breakdown with Bethany is a mom.com podcast. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with Bethany. I'm Bethany Silva, and I'm going to go a little off track here and just say how nervous and also excited I was to interview this guest. Rajma Sojani is a movement. She is the creator of Moms First, which was formerly the Marshall Plan for Moms and Girls Who Code. She is an activist, a speaker, an author, and and a mom, and just an all-around amazing person. This was such an important conversation about the state of working motherhood and how you can get involved to make some radical changes. So check it out. thrilled to have you. And I have lots of sort of very, you know, important questions, big questions that I want to get to. But first, I have to ask, what was it like being on stage with Lizzo and receiving that shout out, that honor? Oh my God. Amazing. She's like such a badass. I love her. And I was just blown away that someone that is as young as her, you know, just starting her career could see that moment to someone else and just, you know, I don't know what what was it 12 other women right or 18 other women and so or 17 other women I um and just like I'm like wow like if everyone who has if everyone could be like you right and could use your power and your platform to lift women and women's issues up like we would be all good I, it was just like I think just bearing witness to that type of just I don't know power generosity kindness just was beautiful yeah, and you looked amazing. So, oh, thank you. I mean, I know it's, it's, you know, I don't think it's every day that us mothers can get glammed up for an amazing event like that. So that must have felt. Nice. It was fun. Well, also, I was like nervous. So I was like, I'm wearing green and feathers, and like <laughs> I, that was like the only time I can ever do that. So, um, so I wasn't sure if I'd overdone it, but yes, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So I, have, you know, Marshall Plan for Moms recently underwent a name change. Can you talk to me? Talk to us about the name change. What inspired that? What prompted that? But also give us some background about the, the movement and the company for those of us who don't know. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, some background in the company. I was um, in 2020, I was in the throes of like Girls Who Code. I was the CEO and founder of that for 10 years. We had just had a Super Bowl ad. I was going to teach more girls than I'd ever taught before. I was having my second son via surrogate. So I was really looking forward to having my paternity leave. And then the pandemic happened and the world blew up. And I found myself having to homeschool my six-year-old, take care of a newborn, save my nonprofit from being shut down. And there are two things that like I saw that like that have brought me to the point I am today. One was that, you know, half the girls we reach are under the poverty line or are black and Latina. And so many of them during the pandemic, because their mothers were essential workers, they weren't able to go off to college and learn computer science because they had to take care of their siblings. And so you really saw the impact of our country's broken structure of care on this two generational cycle of poverty, right? Like we never, women can actually never really get out because we're pulled back in because we have to do the caregiving work. And the second thing is I had a, you know, a leadership team that were a lot of moms and just bear witness to both mine and their struggle of having to take care of our children without the structural support and show up and work 15 hours a day. And so to me, I kept thinking, like, we're, this is not right. Like, where's the plan? And this is when you saw millions, 11 million women being pushed out of the workforce and thinking, like, where's the plan? You can't lose this many jobs. 
and push this many women out of the workforce. We were back to where we were in 1989 by the end of the pandemic. When we started the pandemic, we were 51% of the labor force. And so that is what really inspired me to step down as a CEO of Girls Who Code and to launch another nonprofit, which was not the plan, uh, the Marshall Plan for Moms, now known as Moms First, um, because I saw that like we're never ever gonna finish the fight for gender equality until we finish the fight for moms. That at, at, you know, at most of us at some point become a mother you know, and for, there's 40 million women, mothers, you know what I mean, in the workforce, and that this is the thing that is pulling us back, holding us back, you know, leading to our economic devastation, leading to our mental devastation. And so we got to fix this. And, you know, I changed the name to Moms First because, you know, it's evolved into something much bigger than the Marshall Plan, right? Today, we're like this active community of 500,000 moms, half a million moms, and we're united by this by the sense of that we have to create a society that puts moms first. And even that idea of putting moms first, it's radical, right? And so we wanted to our name to reflect that big ambition for moms and that, you know, we're a long lasting movement that goes beyond the pandemic, you know, that evolves in tandems with the needs of moms in America. I love that. And actually, I was going to save this question for the end, but since you brought up the pandemic, and this is sort of a long-winded wind-up to ask you this question, but I was at the helm of a pretty well-known parenting website. Um, I had just started as sort of like editorial director of a big parenting website in the beginning of 2020, dream job, right? And then the pandemic hit, and I found my responsibility like twofold, dual, right? Like I had my two boys in pre-K and second grade, and I was sort of also speaking to an audience of parents. So I guess the, the question that I want to ask is that because your mission is really so much larger than yourself, there were times, many times, and this is, you know, I'm sure we all went through it, but I was wanted to tell parents, you're in survival mode, you're in survival mode, do whatever you can. Don't worry about the tips that my, my, yeah. my, my, you know, team of writers is, is doling out to you. Cause I felt like that too. So I guess, how do you, and I hate to use the word balance, but really how do you balance your sort of personal parenting struggles with sort of like the bigger picture of, you know, the mission, this for putting moms first? I mean, I, I tell the truth about them. I feel like because I have young kids and look, this is also the interesting thing. Cause I think when you have young kids, you're like in it. And, um, and I share everything. You're like, my husband's been gone for a couple of days on a work trip and just, and I have two kids and a geriatric dog and just the balancing and the planning. Right. And it's like, you recognize, gosh, how do single moms do it? Right. Like, what you have to do to just get the kids to school in the morning and the dog walked before forget about all the stuff you have to do professionally and for yourself I and mean, i'm also in the middle i feel like of perimenopause and just recognizing how much my body is changing and trying to understand why am i itching so much is something wrong am i having a panic attack no you're just losing estrogen right so it's like all these things kind of happening all at the same time and i just kind of tell the truth about it to my community and I think people appreciate, because I'm also trying to figure it out, right? And not feel like I'm so damn alone. Um, what I think we used to do, though, is I think we used to lie about it, yes. right? So it's like we would show the beautiful birthday party and the amazing family vacation, even though you fought the whole time, or your, perfectly, your perfect body or whatever it was. Like, we thought that we had to lie. About, and we still, people still do lie about it, right? You have this entire industry, right, that lies about it. 
And that is what I think has created this enormous amount of anxiety and panic and quite frankly, just lack of rights and respect. Like if we present ourselves to be these super moms that don't need any help and that we got it, well, of course, that's why we don't have paid leave and affordable childcare. I mean, you think about turning to policy for a minute, literally everything got passed. We made some change on, you know what I mean, on climate, on voting rights, on, you know what I mean, all, all a whole set of like, you know what I mean, agenda, right? Gun, guns, all of it. The only thing that didn't move is the care economy. And you have to really wonder how can that be? Because we, we still make it easy for people to not provide us support, even though it's literally, you know, it's killing us inside to be balancing all these things at the same time. Literally, as you see the right rates of depression, anxiety, mental health, suicide be increasing, you know, minute by minute for, for mothers in America. Yeah. Something that I used to lie about when I was in the private sector was like when I had something to do for my kids, I would say, I would lie and say, you know, I don't know, it was an appointment for myself, but whether when in reality I was going to watch a a play or take my kids to the dentist, (laughs) it's like, so I totally get that. But so what would you say the current landscape of working motherhood in the U.S. is right now? Yeah. I mean, look, I think that for far too long, America has undervalued its mothers. You know, our, our nation's childcare crisis, right, is, I mean, in crisis, you know, 40% of parents are in debt because of pre-K. You know, the cost of childcare is actually rising faster than the cost of inflation. Half of the daycare centers are still shut down, right? We're the only industrialized nation that doesn't have paid leave. The far majority of moms, you know, go back to work you know, too soon after having a baby. Anytime I speak at a conference, I ask that question. How many of you went back to work too early and it scarred you? Every hand is raised. I don't want to interrupt you, but I was at one of your talks recently and I spoke about going back two weeks after an emergency C-section and you gave me great advice. I mean, this was also seven years ago, but you do ask that question. (laughs) It's also just like, it's, it's all of us, right? Regardless of what industry that you work in, you know, we work, you know, we, we have impossible, as we talked about, like cultural expectations on mothers so that whatever choices we make seem like they're the wrong ones, you know, and, you know, while society, society is kind of minimizing our challenges and devaluing our joy, you know, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, it's flattening our messy contradictions rather than holding space for them. And so, you know, the, the best case scenario that I want to create is a society where women experience the freedom to move in and out of the workforce without penalty, where it really becomes this sense of freedom and choice uh, in a way that we just don't have, or it's constantly one or the other. I mean, there's like, you know, a Pew study that came out a couple of days ago, but I'm sure that you saw about how parents, you know what I mean, are one, like more unhappier, feel like they have higher expectations than our parents. We are doing more than single mothers did in the 1970s, you know? And so that is all, all such a consequence, I think, of the high hustle culture that we have in workplaces and the high intensive parenting we have because of social media. And it's just, it's crashing. And, you know, we're the carnage of that. Mothers are. And so, like, I I just think that we have to, like, have a radically different conversation today than we've ever had. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that so 
so deeply. And obviously, you know, I follow you on social media and I follow your companies and something that I've, you know, read or seen that you talked about before is this sort of shared identity as mothers and the power in that. And I think you posed a question recently on social media. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about what that means and maybe what, what kind of power we, we hold and maybe we don't realize it yet? Yeah. Look, I think that a lot of us, this is where the pandemic was the, the, a gift in the sense of that, like, I think it sh- showed us that we have a shared identity. I think what was happening pre-pandemic, I'll, I'll even talk about my own marriage, right? Like, you know, I felt like I was running one of the largest or, women and girls organization in the world, Girls Who Code, you know, struggling with fertility, you know, having these kids. I married the good guy, you know what I mean? But still, I was doing more of the housework and more of that, quote, un, untenable balance. And I kept thinking, well, this is my fault. Like, I just haven't trained him well enough, right? This is my private hell, right? But everybody else has got it figured out because they look so damn happy. And then the pandemic hits and you're like, oh, no, no, we've all been lying. We've all been lying about our life in like, whether we're black or brown, poor or rich, you know what I mean, straight or gay, and we're a mother, we're experiencing some sense of commonality or shared experience in the way that we're experiencing our personal life our professional life and society. And that I think opened up this massive opportunity to create a motherhood identity. And it's why for Moms First, you know, I, our, one of our taglines is putting motherhood before party. Why I'm excited to build almost this apolitical bipartisan community that like we actually can become childcare voters. You know, we can actually kind of build off of this common sense of experience of like, oh, we're all getting fucked. You know what I mean? And that realization of like, oh, we're all getting fucked. Like, what do we do? And I think that that's the opportunity right now. Yeah. And so if if a mother is, you know, listening to this or has heard you speak, has discovered um, Moms First on Instagram, how can she get involved? Yeah. So go to our website, you know, momsfirst.com, sign up for our newsletter, sign up to be one of our volunteers. We're going to be kind of launching this year a bunch of campaigns where we're gonna be you know, engaging moms across the country to take actions and to take steps that are putting their motherhood first. So we can all start learning how to build that muscle. And one of the things that I think, you know, Bethany is so, so like kind of aha moment that I had is that, you know, what's radical right now is not necessarily going to go march or participating in a phone bank, but it's radically changing your own life. And when we collectively do that, when we walk into our boss's office and say, I'm not going to breastfeed in the closet anymore. Oh my God. I'm not, I'm not coming back to work 10 days after having a baby, or maybe I'm already past that stage. Why is our, our policy, you know, why do we not have childcare? Like when we start actually, or saying to our own partners or our kids, nope, like I'm going to go meditate and y'all figure out, you know what I mean? Or you walk the dog, right? If, when we start getting radical about our own lives, like, and we all, all 40 million of us do that, the collective impact on that is massive. And that is what I want to start kind of pushing us for, you know, and, and towards is that like, is that you don't have, like, don't make it so big that it feels so impossible. Right. Okay. So I wanted to ask um, Rajma one 
One question that's, I guess, sort of in line with what we're talking about, but something that you used used to talk about, but still do in a different way, I guess, is you know, creating, uh, cultivating confidence, especially mm-hmm. in our girls and us as women. And it, and it, what sort of what you were just saying, you know, the reason I went in two weeks post, you know, C-section to start a new job, the reason that I and probably many of us pumped in bathrooms and closets, is because because of that maybe lack of confidence. So. And I've heard you speak and, you know, your books, they sort of echo that same sentiment. So if a mom is struggling right now with, with asking for that stuff of feeling like, ah, rat being radical, it's just like, what are some maybe tangible tips she can start doing? I mean, I think when we have to recognize that, like, we're smarter than them Mm -hmm. and you just look at the data, right? Like more, like the vast majority of valedictorians are young women, you know, the 51% of those getting their master's degrees and PhDs are women. You know, we're at the top of our class at every single, in every single industry, but then we get into the workforce and something shifts. And what shifts is that when we become moms, we're no longer supported and we're gaslit. We quite frankly make last last money the minute we like put that title next to our name. Hmm. And so that then I think breeds this sense of, oh wait, something's wrong with me. Like, I'm just not cutting it. I'm not balancing this right. I need to get a mentor. I need to get, and everything we're given to read you know, girl boss your way to the top, build a little bit of confidence, lean in a little bit. Everything that we're given is pointed at us. So we think we're the problem. You know, we're, we've never been the problem. The problem has always been the structure. If we were provided these structures, these support systems, if we were paid fairly, you know what I mean? We would actually be at equal. We would be equal, you know, in terms of all metrics because it's never been a performance issue. It's never been a skills gap issue. It's always been when this life event happens. This is why you look at when you see single women, you know, single women without children are quite frankly doing better, right, than single young men, you know, in terms of their ability to, to own property, in terms of like their salaries, all across the board. So it's when, when you become a mother is when everything changes. Um, and not because you change per se, and your interests or your desires change. It's because society suddenly doesn't provide you the support that you need to do both. And then we gaslight you for it, which makes it even worse. Yeah, Reshma, I'm so curious. I know you, I know we have a long, long way to go and you are working toward that, you know, and I, I just, I, you give me so much solace. So I'm wondering, do you feel your impact though when you talk to women at these conferences and maybe you know, thinking big picture, we're not there yet. But when you're like face to face with someone like me, who's like, yes, yes, yes. Do you, how does that, how do you, how does that resonate with you? Oh my God. So, I mean, I want to hear from you. See, I feel sometimes that when I'm speaking to her and I'm saying this, everyone is staring at me like, you're crazy. <laughs> and I'm like talking about some mythical world that like has unicorns dancing around, right? In rainbows. And, and, and I, I'm like, and and so I, I often feel like, wait, am I, am I, are you hearing what I'm saying? I think we're just like a deer in headlights. Like we're hearing this for the first I know. time. I think the thing is, is that it, this is what I think it feels, um, it's radical and it's different, right? Than what we've kind of been talking about. So I think it's going to take time for this to really sink in. So one of the things that really made my heart sing this week is I got a note from a little, from a young woman who was participating in Harvard's model Congress. She's in high school. And she said, you know, Mr. Johnny, the prompt is about paid leave and childcare. And I'm like, yes, you, you know what I mean? And so like this work that you and I are doing, 
that's creating that. And so when these girls in high school are learning, like, I didn't learn about this stuff, I swear to God, until I was 45. Like, I'm, how did I miss all of this? How did I miss this oppression? You know what I mean? And they're learning about it much younger. So I think that like, I think that there's gonna be bold change, but I think the moment that we're in right now where we're just so damn tired and it feels so big and enormous is what we, what I'm really trying to tackle. And that's part of like trying to say, okay, I'm not asking you to do the big thing. I'm asking you to do these small steps. And it's kind of like, I learned this in Brave Not Perfect when people were trying to orientate themselves to bravery, if they did these small things, Mm-hmm. Like when someone bumped into them in the street, they said, instead of saying, I'm sorry, they said, excuse me. You know, if they like learned how to do a cartwheel and did something brave that made them feel like, oh, I can actually approach my life in this way, like, raise their hand immediately without it. Like these small things actually made them feel braver. And so same thing with, that's what we have to do as moms. We have to do these small little everyday things that make us feel like we have more control over our lives that start us to say, oh, wait a minute. You know, and then I think we have to really enlist all the moms who've already been through this and who are at the other end, who experience all this for them to turn around when they don't have any skin in the game, right? Right. They don't need this job or need this paid leave because they've already had their, you know what I mean? They're past the point for them to basically be standing up and saying, okay, we need to change our paid leave policies. Mm-hmm. We need to change, you know, so it's, or we need more flexibility or we need, you know, we need to have different, you know what I mean? Different, different set of policies when women are either in their caregiving of small children or elderly parents, which is when you see the most amount of dropout. So it's this, it's just, it's a whole, it's, it's big. It's a wholesale shift in the way that we've approached feminism that feels different. So yes, I, I still like, I tell my coaches, I'm like, I, I don't, I think they think I'm crazy. Like, you know, what, you, you know what I mean? And like, and that's, um, but you know, it's funny. I felt the same way 10 years ago yeah. when I'd be sitting in an auditorium full of 12 year old girls mm-hmm. and I was telling them that they should learn how to code. And they're like, what is this lady talking about? And now a decade later, every single cool girl protagonist is a coder. The number one trending term on TikTok is hashtag STEM girl. You know what I mean? Like to be a girl in STEM is to be cool. And 10 years ago, I had literally like after all, I would go from auditorium to auditorium to auditorium to be be like, I need a drink and a cookie. Like that was just, you know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of how I feel now. But I, I know that I'm just a little bit ahead. And that's my, that's my, that's my superpowers. I see around corners and I have no doubt like, you know, five, 10 years from now, this is going to be our reality, you know? Um, but it's going to take some awakening. I'm trying to wake people up. I love it. We could end right there. I mean, I've got goosebumps. I mean, I adore you and I don't want to come off too like, but I do. I adore you. I feel like I can keep doing what I'm doing and, and, and help and, you know, you know, ha- you know, climb the ladder and reach behind because you're doing what you, you what you're doing. So we'll keep doing what you're doing. Cause you've been like, again, have broken it open and it's these culture conversations, right? Yeah. It's these stories, these conversations, these interviews, these podcasts that make all the difference. So thank, well, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Rajma. Really thank you. It.